Hey, good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this week's edition of Hypnosis Week Live. Yes, it's me again, Alex Williams-Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis uh, of MagicalGuru.com. That's enough about me. This week, I'm joined by another wonderful guest, a gentleman I've known now for well over a decade. Um We've become great friends. We've also run business projects together in the past. I've seen him grow from working as a stage hypnotist in holiday resorts abroad um, to now this year, 2020. And this is being recorded in January 2020, but to put time perspective on it, if you're watching it in years to come, uh, into doing this year his biggest UK national theatre tour to date and that is as a stage hypnotist but he does have involvement in the personal development uh, arena as well internet marketing a whole bunch of other things as well so please welcome uh the man himself to the show mr robert temple hello hello you all right dude very well thank you for having me i forgot to mention you've also got a background in magic one or two surprisingly one or two hypnotherapists i've spoken to it's turned out they've got a background in magic that i didn't know about um <laughs> So, um, yeah, obviously you, you are a stage hypnotist. You yeah. do. Uh, you also over here have um, internet marketing interest to help people build the businesses and stuff. Um, you've still got an interest in magic. It's just that you don't necessarily perform it in the way you once did. And I know that you do do the odd bit of therapy. How did you get to where you are now? Because at one point, I ask everyone this at the beginning, because at some point you didn't do all that. No. So uh, when I was when I was a kid, I was a really shy, quiet, terrified, nervous kid, terrified of everything, didn't really fit in very well. I would never say I was bullied or picked on particularly. But I, and I had some friends, but um, I certainly didn't fit in very well. I was crap at sports, um, didn't like the things that most people would like. And when I was about four, uh, I went to I lived in London at the time, northwest London. And I went to see a, I went to a playgroup uh, party and they had a magician on. It was either a magician or a clown, I can't remember. And I was obsessed with this magic show. And wouldn't, apparently, wouldn't, I don't remember, but apparently wouldn't stop talking about it. And then a little bit later, I went to a children's birthday party for another kid at school, and they had a magician as well. And it was a magician called, one of the two, I can't remember which one, but one of the two was a magician called, um, was called Smarty Arty, I believe. And it yes. was a chain, a, a chain of kids entertainers who all worked under the brand Smarty Arty, I think just around the London area. And um, again, was obsessed with magic and just wanted to do it. So after lots of badgering and pestering, um, my parents bought me a magic set, a Paul, Dan Paul Daniel's magic set. And whereas most kids would play with it, they'd have fun with it, they'd show people some tricks, uh, they'd lose half the bits, and then it would get put in a charity shop or, or thrown away at some point, and they'd move on to something else. I just never did. Um, so grew, growing up, took it very seriously, wanted to be a magician, uh, joined the Northern Magic Circle Junior Section when I was 11, uh, joined the Magic Circle Young Magicians Club when I was 13 or 12 whatever their age limit is and uh, started going to meetings so we used to go to London pretty much every month for the the Magic Circle Young Magicians Club meetings took it very seriously that was all I was ever going to do obviously I was do going to school at the same time yeah. and I did my when I was about 14 I saw a hypnotist and I thought that would be cool and lots of magicians as you know are all too well kind of find additional strings to their bow uh, things they want to do whether that be juggling or ventriloquism or whatever and for me I was interested in three things hypnosis pickpocketing and escapology and I think the reason 
reason those three things grabbed my attention is that um, I, ha I, as a magician who did tricks, had no idea whether they were real or not. I didn't know whether escapology was just having a secret key hidden somewhere or whether there was really something more to it. I didn't know whether pickpocketing was real. I didn't know whether hypnosis was real. But the one that grabbed my attention more than any of them was hypnosis. So I started trying to find books and things on it. Eventually stumbled across all of your stuff, um, DVDs and courses and stuff. Uh, I bought them online on eBay, I think. Uh, had them sent to the house and studied them over a period of a couple of years and uh eventually when i was about 16 and a half i did my gcse's so i was nearly 17 and i decided to go out and just give it a go so i've got a bump in there because i know you've left a little bit of the story out there which bit's that the bit that you may have ordered certain things using your dad's credit card without telling him Ah yes, I did. I did. I did order them without my dad's with my dad's credit card without telling him, which uh, did get me in trouble at the time. Um, and I think I think he would have been okay with it had I got my GCSEs out of the way and then said, yeah. "Can I have the money to buy this buy this stuff?" Um, but yeah, it was the fact that I did it whilst he was like, "Well, just get your GCSEs done first. Anyway, so I was studying for my GCSEs obviously at the time, and then when I finished them, I, I decided, right, I've studied this now for a couple of years. Time to go out and start doing a show. So I sent out a bunch of letters to some pubs and decided to do some free shows in the northeast, just to get some because uh, I'd moved up to to Sunderland when I was a kid. Sorry, five for viewers. How old are you at this point? You've just now. left. So you're like oh, sixteen. Uh, yeah, I might have just turned seventeen. But 16, 17, 16, so, I believe. Very, very young. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I decided to, to give it a go. So I wrote up, um, I bought a course from a guy, an American magician called Dave D, who teaches sort of marketing for magicians, yeah. or did at the time. And it taught how to create sales letters and stuff that you could send out to venues as an entertainer to get booked. So I knocked one together and it was based on his template. And it basically explained why, why I was doing the show, show for free. And it had some bullshit reason why it was free. Um, and sent it off and of i think i sent out 20 letters i got about four replies everyone else must have thought it was a scam and of those uh two of the pubs booked me to go and do a show for free uh and then i got offered a third one from somebody who basically a hypnotist i'd met um had been offered a gig but the budget was only 200 quid and it was in london and he said well if you want to do some shows for free that'll cover your cost to get to london and back Mm -hmm. uh, but he said I can't do it for that so if you want it you can have it so I did two two shows for free and one where they were paying 200 quid just to cover my expenses down to London and back and the shows and I, I thought if I do them for free then it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work yeah, um, yeah. I didn't know quite then what I know now I probably would have taken a different approach to it now but I went down did the shows they were they all went well uh, a couple of the pubs booked me back uh, as a paid gig later and I did one of them a few times and uh, yeah it was it was a good experience that got me started uh, eventually that led to um, a mutual friend of ours, Adam Knight, here in the Northeast, uh, got offered a, a summer season abroad. And obviously it wasn't in a position in his life where that was something he could consider, uh, but offered it to me. Went across and did that. That led to four summer seasons abroad um, and then uh, came back home at the end of the fourth one, decided to, to start things up here. Did worked as a sort of normal hypnotist, if you like, doing pubs and clubs and venues and the odd corporate event weddings I used to love doing. And then it was only about three years ago from this point, I decided that I wanted to do a theatre show. And rather than wait for somebody to a producer or somebody to spot me and put the show out, I decided to just screw it and do it myself. Uh, and that began the project that we're now three years into and uh, having lots of fun, learn, making lots of mistakes, learning lots of lessons and uh, and that's that's growing steadily and then in the meantime when i'm not on tour 
I am obviously performing at other events and venues and things. And then I am also building other businesses too. Cool. Now that gives people a kind of a background. I'm going to pick into certain areas a bit more as we go along. So let's, you, you use it. Hypnosis largely, you've got to get people in through the door, obviously, so there's advertising goes in. So we, we know that a lot of people in show business will use publicity ploys. Um, now, I know the truth behind certain things, so that's why I'm purposely throwing it out for people watching. One of the things that keeps bobbing up when uh, come and see the show that, uh, you know, uh, they try to ban. Now, I know there's truth behind that. There's people use that as a trying to sensationalize yeah. things but i know the truth behind that so would you explain to people the truth behind that because it is genuinely true it's not just some showbiz hype thing yeah so back in 2009 i was i decided to do a show and i wanted to sell it was the first time i'd ever hired a venue to sell tickets um and I, we were going to film it as well so uh, i was looking around i looked at theaters and i looked at a few other things and eventually settled on the birdcage cabaret venue in manchester which is a sort of drag cabaret comedy venue and um so uh, you and i actually worked together on that project i hired the venue i hired a film crew from edinburgh um and you know it cost thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to put it on we put the tickets on sale i'd never done that before so that was a learning curve i used to think you just put a poster in the window and people would come and buy tickets so that we worked really really hard for months and months and months it sold super well and about a week before the show happened I'd applied, I'd obviously had the license through from the local council for anyone in the UK. You'll know that as the 1952 Stage Hypnotism Act. Anyone outside of the UK, you've probably heard of it if you've done any digging into hypnosis at all. Uh, it's just this antiquated law that we have to abide by in the UK. So I applied for the license with Manchester City Council, got the license granted. It was a woman called Jeanette um, who, who granted the license. She was head of licensing for the council, had no problems at all, actually. I had two insurance policies just to make sure I got two separate insurance policies. So I was doubly insured if that's a thing unless they cancel each other out i don't know um and then um the license was granted about a week before the show i had a voicemail from this Jeanette woman asking me to call her urgently so i did and she basically said i'm really sorry to let you know we're gonna have to revoke the license for the show so of course i was horrified i said because you know when you when you book a venue and hire a film crew and you've sold tickets and all that uh, if you had to cancel the show for any reason and refund everybody the costs of pretty much everything are still paid for and obviously we'd still paid for all the advertising and all that so I said, uh, and I think I was actually down there for about a week staying at yours before yeah. the show. So I was I was there anyway. Any, I was going to be there anyway. So she said, uh, we're going to have to cancel the license because one of our licensing officers being past the venue and we had enormous posters in the window. They must have been about five foot tall posters oh, easy, yeah. that said, uh, you know, triple X rated hypnosis show and all of that. And uh, she said, you didn't tell us it was going to be an X-rated hypnosis show or even a rude hypnosis show. And I said, well, you never asked. <laughs> and she said, well, we did. I've got the form here. And one of the questions is, please describe the nature of the hypnotism. So I did. I described the nature of the hypnotism. I said, volunteers in the audience will be safely and gently relaxed into a hypnotic. Because it's, it's copy and paste in my head. It's yeah. the same words I use all the time. So anyway, she said, well, that wasn't what we meant. And I said, well, you didn't ask me to describe. There's no question in that particular form that asked me to describe what was going to happen under under hypnosis. So she said, this is what we're going to do. So I called. So I said, she said, our lawyers are going to see what they can do, but we're going to revoke the license. So I called you and I said, what do we do? And he said, well, you've got equity membership, call equity. So I said, OK. So I called equity and spoke to their or I spoke to their legal department and they said, OK, great. We'll see what we can do. Now, it's a bit of a blur what happened from that point. I believe it was a couple of days of sort of panic. 
wondering what the hell was going to happen. And basically, Equity came back to me in the end and said, right, we've spoken to Manchester City Council. They haven't got a leg to stand on, and we think they know that. Yeah. Um, so that's that. You can call Jeanette back and everything's fine. So I called her back and she said she didn't. She never said that she was in the wrong ever. Um, she did just say, well, it looks like we're not going to revoke the license, but we are going to send some license, licensing officers along to monitor it. And basically, if we think you've broken the law in any sense, in other words, if we think you've broken the terms under which the license was granted, then we'll be able to prosecute whatever that looks like. So two blokes came along in high vis jackets and sat at the back. Actually, lovely guys, really lovely yeah, they guys. Were, they were. Really fact. nice guys. They came into the dress room before the show and they said right this is Jeanette's asked us to bring this and they had a piece of paper and they had all of the terms of the license on it and they should highlighted the ones that were particularly relevant and one of them is the term that says the show must be conducted in such a manner so as not to cause offense to any member of the audience or any participant on stage yeah. you can tell we've read this shit a lot can't you um yeah. and so that was the thing and said so as long as nobody in the audience can ever claim they're offended then then that's okay and they said well I suppose so so the guys went and stood at the back now, you were my warm-up act that night and you went out to like G up the crowd and did some magic and mind reading and just generally got them all to agree with the fact that they were okay with us saying terrible words. Yeah, I uh, said basically every swear word you could think of and said if you're offended, leave. F off at the venue. Um, before, before the hypnosis show begins. So therefore it had nothing to do with the licence and uh, therefore it was established at the end of it that before we bring Robert Temple on stage... Is it safe to say that all words and language used so far, anyone remaining here is prepared to say they're not offended by it? Um, the whole audience stuck their hands up and I turned to the licensing people and said, feel free to stay for the show, but there's your proof nobody can be offended tonight. And yeah. it went on to be an, 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 an amazing show and there was diddly squat that Jeanette could do. And I believe that Jeanette doesn't work for Manchester City Council anymore. So. <laughs> The last, the last time, um, the last time I was in Manchester was on tour uh, in 2018, and I, um, I, I applied for the license, and it was dealt with by somebody else, and it was granted instantly without question. It was, e- in fact, it was easy to get it the second time than it was the first time. Well, there's uh, probably a note on file. Don't argue with any application <laughs> from. Don't argue with this twat. Yeah, so that's, yeah. That. that's all good. Excellent. Oh, dearie me. So just rewinding ever so slightly before we come more up today. Um, after you've done the pubs and clubs that you got the first few gigs for free through the process that you, you mentioned before, you went over then to the hol- holiday resort um, arena. Can you tell people who, who are either hypnotherapists and don't know about stage hypnosis or people who just got into stage hypnosis and don't know what that entails, what the sunny resort uh kind of entertainment arena job is like yeah it's interesting the first year i did i went to kavos which is in corfu the greek island and then the the rest of them were in um kos uh, a resort called kardamana in kos um it's an interesting experience and when i went out there for the first two years i definitely wasn't the person i am today like i was a still very shy very nervous not very good at making friends um found that all quite difficult and so i sort of wrapped myself in a safety blanket i went out with uh, my mate gary who was running the tech for my show he just left one job and was w- waiting to start a new job so i had a few months off and so he came out and teched the show for me and that was a bit of a safety blanket because i'd known him for a long time 
uh, and he's a few years like three three four years older than me so we went out and did that and had it had a blast but i didn't drink very much like just had a very sort of subdued time for the first couple of years and when you when you get out there it's an interesting experience they're mostly british holiday makers that i was working for um who are looking for an interesting week away normally a rowdy 18 to 30 um, drink fueled holiday but then there's always a couple of nights where they have something that's a bit more sort of subdued and go to a cabaret bar of some description the one that i mean the, the season that is particularly representative of how i ended up was when i moved to Kos. Kavos i was really finding my feet and and uh, you know we cancelled quite a lot of shows because i didn't quite know the process of getting people into the bar not that that's really my job it's the bar's job but they do put a lot of pressure on you as the entertainer to go out and and, and talk to people and and stuff um so when i got to cost that was really representative it was a, a cabaret bar run by a british family who'd moved out there and they said we want you to do two or three nights a week for us in our bar and then we'll drive you around the island as long as you don't do any other bars within that specific resort we'll drive you around the island i mean the island's only about 50 minutes big we'll drive you around the island and we'll we'll take you to the different resorts and introduce you to the equivalent of us there and they'll probably give you a night's work as well and there wasn't much other entertainment there there was me there was an elvis tribute act called william there was a, a comedian called brian who i never really got on with for any particular reason didn't seem like me very much uh there was a roy chubby tribute brown act, a roy chubby brown tribute act uh who i've since uh since hung out with and is great and uh i think that was probably it for the most part oh, there was a few singers so um so i i became quite popular quite quickly just through being different i think um it's yeah. it's a, a lesson that i have leveraged or used and leveraged for the rest of my career really is the fact that the minute you are a hypnotist that's different from what most entertainment is most people do know roughly what that is well that's getting more difficult we now have a generation of people who've never seen a hypnotist before and don't know what it is different story for a different time um or later in this but uh yeah so i found that uh the minute you say there's a hypnotist on people sort of know what that is and, and they know what it roughly what it entails and they, they want to come along so that was good and so every pretty much every night of the week sometimes twice a night i would go out on stage do a show uh for about 90 minutes most of the time you could just do whatever you wanted say whatever you wanted even if there were families in the bar those families generally didn't mind you just cracking on uh, swearing and doing stuff that they they probably wouldn't ordinarily let their kids watch but it was fine they just didn't care they're on holiday yeah. and uh, you get paid in cash the money's crap um you just do the show and i think i got about 250 300 euros a show uh got paid uh when i had less than that now isn't it it's definitely been driven down from that now yeah i know there are some spanish holiday resorts where people are getting 80 to 100 euros a show uh so i was getting 250 maybe i think 200 euros a show was probably the lowest i got when the season was really quiet like at the start of the season because i i went out in the end of april and at the start because these are not year-round holiday resorts that i was working in um and they were sometimes i was going out on stage for 12 to 15 people and then it was down to the bar whether they wanted to just do it anyway and pay me a bit less like 200 euros or whether they would say because obviously nobody's paying to be in the audience they're just going to try and make their money back from the drinks and food um and so uh yeah some some resorts were like well we've advertised the show there's 12 people in we'd rather you did the show so i remember nights distinctly there's a bar called sydney bar and hotel in kefalos a lovely place in Kos. And I remember distinctly going out and doing shows where I had eight people on stage and four people left in the audience and uh, just plowing through it because I wanted me 200 euros. Um, and yeah, and, it, and it, I mean, it was the best experience. You know, back in the day, people had to do national service and they had to go off to the army and serve their time in the army. I think everyone in this day and age should have to go and spend a season working abroad in, in Spain or Greece or somewhere because the, uh, the, the way it changes you as a person 
is is just unbelievable. Whether you're a hypnotist or working in a bar, I think everyone should have to go and do a season abroad when you finish school because it's 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 just a great experience. Cool. Um, so then you ended up back in England, as you said, and the birdcage occurred. The, 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 the theatre thing will come to uh, a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, and then surprisingly, it took you until last year to um, do anything at Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. Um, wherever you are in the world, you've probably heard of Edinburgh International Arts Festival. If not, just tap it into Google and YouTube. And you, you get literally thousands of acts over the course of a month where there are literally sometimes hundreds of shows going on at exactly the same time in hundreds of established and main makeshift venues it could be like the back room of a bakery shop uh, and i'm not taking the michael there there is literally shops where their back room becomes a small performance art venue during during this mad month um, um and well can you tell us about your experience there because i know you did the the, there's two fringes. There's what they call the paid fringe and the free fringe. Paid fringe, you've got to hire venues, pay for the hire, and you're taking a massive financial risk. Or if you're a famous name, television comedian, you may get butt in there and paid a fee by a promoter who takes the risk. But you've really got to be on telly a lot for that, haven't you? Yep. Or there's the free fringe, which is what you did last year. Do you want to explain how it kind of works? Because yeah, it's so it's really it took you so long to do it. Yeah, I mean, I've been to the Fringe for a, a load. So my dad used to work for um, a bank in Scotland and he was in Scotland from Monday to Friday every week for years and years. And my stepmom was a teacher, so she had the whole of August off. So we used to go up to the to the Fringe for the whole of August and just go and watch everything I could while my dad was at work. So mostly magic shows and stuff. And so I've always wanted to do it, really, since I was about 12. And uh, yeah, you're right. It has taken me to uh, to be in 32 to, to actually do it. Um, and mostly just through fear of not knowing what I didn't know, really. Uh, that was the primary reason. There's nothing nothing else would have stopped me from doing it. I didn't know. I didn't know. I thought there must be things I don't know that make this more difficult than it looks. And I, and you hear of lots of people losing money, like the vast majority of people who do the fringe lose money. Um, even some famous people will lose money or people who've had a, a decent enough career. So I, I was conscious of that. So a long time went by and eventually I thought, you know what, I'm doing the theatre tour now. I've done I've done one tour. I've got another one coming up. Uh, and then obviously this is the third one this year. So I thought, let's do the Fringe because it might be good exposure. It's good rehearsal for the show, actually. Uh, and also it may get, you know, people from all over the world go there, certainly from all over the UK. So people may come and see my show in Edinburgh, like it, and then want to go and see the full two hour show because you limit to an hour in Edinburgh. Uh, people might want to go and see the full two-hour show on tour and buy tickets, so it could lead to generating ticket sales. So I looked at the two fringe options, and I spoke to lots of my friends who've done the fringe either for a long time uh, or who have done it at least a few times. And the general consensus from almost everybody was to do the free fringe. I remember speaking to, do you know Ian Kendall? Yeah. The magician. So I was yeah. talking to Ian. He's about nine foot tall, lovely bloke, known him for a long time. And I met him at the Edinburgh Fringe and he lives in Edinburgh. And he said, if you want to if you want to be seen, if you want to get reviews and do the fringe, then do the paid fringe. If you want to make money and just be seen by lots of people, do the free fringe. 
and when the free fringe started there were lots of people who had sort of a bit of a negative attitude about it thinking it was probably sort of cramping the style of the paid fringe a little bit so the way it works is basically it's run so the one I, there's a few of them now the one that i did is the original it's uh, the pbh free fringe run by a great guy called peter buckley hill a comedian and he basically started it as a sort of anarchistic movement against the 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 fringe the corporate body that is the fringe back in the day where he just got a room he went to the fringe he got a room and he said to people he put posters up and he said if you want to come to this to this show it's free just pay whatever you think it's worth on the way out uh, if you want to and if you don't just leave and enjoy the show for free and that was that and so eventually years and years later i think i I might be talking out my backside here i think it's like 18 years old now it's going on a long time anyway uh moving down the line it's now this enormous thing which has hundreds of its own shows happening it's a huge organization that's entirely entirely voluntarily run it doesn't make a profit um it all it tries to do is not lose money it just tries to break even and so basically the way it works is as an entertainer you can apply to be in the free fringe you just have to fill in a form that suggests that you will comply with their sort of ethos and their their cooperative uh way of working um you will tell them roughly what you want in terms of a venue and stuff and that's and tell them why why i think one of the questions is how do we know the show is going to be any good if we've never seen you before so you just have to sort of say this is what i've done this is my sort of um this is my credibility and so i filled in the form sent it off they came back and said the only slot we can give you is at half two on an afternoon um, in the venue size that you're looking for which is 250 or we can give you a smaller venue which only holds 60 or 70 people at about nine o'clock at night so it was a bit torn really because i wanted the nine o'clock time slot but i wanted a bigger audience as well so again i went back to a bunch of my friends and said what would you do got slightly mixed responses about 80 percent of them said that'll be fine there's people looking for adult shows at all times of day yeah. uh, and a couple of a couple of people said oh i'd try and get a later time slot if you can so i thought sorry something's better than nothing so i took it so the way it works is that the venue is free being in the pbh brochure which is called the wee blue book that's free uh participating in the whole thing is free so the only expenses are my accommodation uh flyers and posters to put around the city and if you want to be in the proper you know the main edinburgh fringe brochure then you can pay to be in that which is about 300 quid so i thought they'll still they'll still let you take out an ad that you've got a show on in there even if you're not part of their paid yeah yeah it's fine yeah so i paid the 300 quid to be in there and be on that and actually i did actually i missed i missed the deadline to be in their brochure but i did get onto their website and everybody told me being on the website is the most important thing now because that gets you onto the the iphone app as well and android app so i went up and did it i got some last minute accommodation at a sort of dungy um uh grungy student accommodation digs which is where lots of people stay when they do the edinburgh fringe we were staying with uh some uh two girls and a guy who were doing a play there and they just had a spare room that i i sublet and uh, and it was a totally new experience and i remember on day one the day before the free fringe it's literally because everything's free the venues are given to you for free we're lucky that the venue that I, i'd got was like is probably one of the nicer ones on the fringe in terms of what it's got um it's a it's a nightclub live music venue so it has a stage it has light it has lights it has sound it has everything and the tech guys are great um so we went down the day before to carry chairs in and set the chairs up so we put all the chairs out and the venue i was in has two venues the one that i was in and a slightly smaller one and so we set all the chairs out and it was all good to go i met the other acts i knew a couple of them anyway and then uh, the day of the f- the first day that i had a show I remember I went down, I was second on. So basically at one o'clock, there was a comedian on 
called Dan Willis, who's actually from Newcastle but lives in Australia. And he does a show there every year. His show is about uh, a whinging, a whinging Poms guide to Australia. So what it's like being a, whin- a whinging British person living in Australia. So he was on before me. And then there was a fifth. There's a 15 minute turnaround while they get one audience out and you set up and they get the next audience in. You've got 15 minutes. That includes audience out, audience in. So they hold the audience in like a whole. Matter of interest, what? They've just been seeing the comedian. Do they all have to physically leave to come back in, or if they decided they want to see your show, can they stay in the seat? No, they have to leave and come back in because otherwise they wouldn't have the chance to walk past his bucket. Right. Okay. Because that's what I was thinking, might not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. they have to leave and come back in. So there's 15 minutes. Everyone gets asked to leave, and you do get lots of people. So Dan was great. Dan would always say, if you're looking for something else to do, there's a great comedy hypnotist on straight after this. So go to the bar, grab yourself another drink, come straight back down when they call for you. And so that was that. So uh, it's a really good atmosphere. Like we all got on so well and and just made some great friends out of it, and it was it was excellent. And so you've got 15 minutes to get the audience out, and I would stand at the door and hand them a flyer for my show as they're on their way out of of that. There's no ego at the Edinburgh Fringe if you're doing a show you're standing there somewhere handing out flyers like it there's no big i am there's no point in trying to be a star especially at the free fringe it's it's you're encouraged not to hire huge teams of flyers because that's not fair the idea is they're trying to level the playing field from people who've got an enormous budget and people who haven't um and so well, i remember on the it's first it's quite day, easy to spot there are people who hire teams of people oh 100 percent. i mean i know i, I was what... down there with simon warner and viva hypnosis and he hired and paid people to go flyering Definitely, yeah. I remember I was chatting to, uh, I was chatting before the show, well, the morning of the first show, I went down to, and I thought, if I set my stuff up to one side, when Dan's finished and gets off, I can just lift my stuff on. So I found 10 chairs and put them to one side in the sort of vague wing space of this little stage and sort of worked out what I was going to do so I could get out and get set up quickly. And so um, I remember I was talking to Dan before the show and I was quite nervous because I didn't know if I was going to get an audience or not. I thought I don't. In fact, I thought I don't know how I'm going to get an audience because I'm in the brochure. Sure. Um, I'm on the Edinburgh Fringe app and website. Sure. But there's 3000 other shows on this month. A lot of them are on every day. And I'm trying to work out what the hell do I how the hell am I going to get an audience so I thought well I've got me flyers I better go out flyering and flyering is not something I'm very good at I, I find it hard to fly people I don't like doing it so I thought well sorry it so I put me suit on so I thought then at least I stand out and they know I'm I'm meant to be there and I went out into the streets and Dan had said don't go flyering man you'll be fine you'll have an audience just don't work so hard sit down at the back watch enjoy my show and then just get yourself ready for the show and I said no I need to have an audience anyway so I went out flyering I'm in, in about 45 minutes. I must have given out a good, I don't know, six or seven flyers. You know, that that's the sort of quantity that we're talking about. A good six or seven flyers. Uh, and uh, Gary, my tech guy who came to me with the first season in Greece, he was up there as well to help out. And he must have given out another two or three. So, you know, we were really going for it that that day. And um, <laughs> I went back to uh, I went back to the venue, terrified, thinking this is not going to happen. There's going to be nobody here today. So Dan had done his show. And he had a decent enough audience and he finished and he went and stood at the back and they walked past and put money in the bucket and, and off they went. And um, so I quit. So Dan said, Dan, Dan went off uh, to, to go and enjoy his day. And I, I set up all my chairs and I was still sort of nervous thinking what happens if nobody happened, if nobody comes. And that's that. Anyway, our best sort of ballpark guest is about 150 people turned up. And I thought, bloody hell, where have you, where have you come from? How has this happened? And um, and that was and I thought, wow, that, that is just the movement that, that the free fringe has created now and the, and the fringe app in its own right. I mean, I did pull towards the second half of the month. I did start pulling people in the audience to find out how did you find out about the show? Was it from the Edinburgh Fringe app? Was it from the free fringe brochure? Was it because I handed you a flyer? And I did get better at flyering by the end of the month. Um, 
you can't get out first. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think there was there were two days we had to pull the show because there was only about fifteen or twenty people in, and they were both midweeks. Uh, on the two, the three sat no, the two Saturdays I was there, I already had a booking on one of the Saturdays in Bedfordshire, so I had to drive down and do the the mental trip down to Bedfordshire to do a show and back. So I missed one day at the Fringe to do that. Um, but I had two Saturdays at the Fringe, and we had about 300 people in on both days, which was capacity for that venue. You know, that's standing room only. Uh, and every other day, apart from the two we pulled, we had between 150 and 200 people in. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, really good. I've applied to go back this year. I haven't heard. They haven't started giving out the offers yet, but I've applied to go back with the new show this year. Uh, and hopefully that'll get it. And my plan sort of going forward is to do the to do the Fringe every year and then tour in September and October every year and use the Fringe as a, I don't want to call them previews because that's not fair, but on the basis that people aren't buying tickets for that, they're just coming along and if they like it, they pay some money. I feel like that's a really good opportunity for me to go and do 23, 24 shows uh, it varies slightly each year to 23 24 shows uh, in front of pay- in front of what are effectively paying audiences but with a little bit less pressure it, it's very much a place where you can work in new material and try stuff um and i know that i'm good enough at it that it'll, it'll pull off anyway um and then take that show out on tour through september and october did they let you sell anything back of the room i know you don't have much time but i mean if you so have you somebody can, there you with can. you can do it. it's you can it just becomes tricky you've got to be careful not to muddy the waters with who's going to give you some money for nothing and who's going to buy something well not for nothing but for the show and who's going to buy something what a lot of acts do yeah. instead is they merge the two so they say if you want to tip a fiver that would be great if you want to tip a ten so basically the general pitch is if you bought a ticket for this show when it's on tour it's about 20 quid um you've seen a half of the show because this is only an hour that's a two-hour show so i think this is well worth a tenner Uh, but if you've got a tenner that would be lovely uh if not a fiver would be great it's very much like watching a busker on the street that the sort of bucket pitch um but what lots of entertainers do say is and if you do tip if you do tip 15 quid you can have a t-shirt and they've got a t-shirt that's branded up so it's one of the things i'm going to do for next for this year not next year this year uh, is to have some put some money in the bucket and buy some as well. Yeah. It's been blended together. It's an incentive. Like a, like these crowdfunding sites, the more you exactly, donate, exactly the more right. you get type thing. Exactly right, yeah. And it definitely works, you know. And, you know, halfway through the season, I realised I was missing a trick so I didn't have a card reader. So I went out to Ryman's and I bought one of the Sum Up card readers. So, because wow. uh, I realised a lot of the other entertainers on the free fringe were able to take card payments. And I thought, oh, that's useful. So I went out and that definitely paid dividends. And there were people that would actually give you money at the back of the room via card yeah i mean to the point that so at the end of the pitch i just say, and if you haven't got any cash don't worry about it i do take card and if, if you really just don't have any money at all then obviously just shake my hand say thank you for the show and leave very yeah. few people do that very few people put nothing in and in, interestingly in my venue because it's it's two floors underground there's no signal and they don't have wi-fi available at all oh. um and so for i said to the other guys how are you doing card payments and they said if you just take them up this, this little back exit and it's got a flight of stairs that takes them to street level, um, just say if you've, got, if you've got to pay by card, just wait over here while everyone else is walking past and putting money in. And then you take them. And I used to make a joke about it. I said, follow me. It's like the Pied Piper of card payments. And I'll take you up this little flight of stairs. And people would do it. They'd come up with you, you know, a, a stream of 15 or 20 people at each show would come up the stairs with you. Yeah. And, and you just say, how much would you like to pay? And they'll say five or 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever. And they oh, just yeah. pay on card. So I don't want figures because... It was your business, quite frankly, but um, by the sounds of it, even after travel, accommodation, food, and, and all the cost of being there, yeah, um, 
You didn't lose money. You made a profit by the sounds of it. Made a profit. Did the first Edinburgh Fringe, I did made a profit. Yeah, definitely. I, I've learned some mistakes. I, I made some mistakes along the way. I've realized there were definitely some places I could have saved a lot of money um, and had a more efficient fringe. But uh, that's just learnings for next time. And hopefully the profit will be bigger next to this year. Excellent. So you, you say you, that's going to be like your tryout, rehearsal, um, experimental. It's the first chance now. to put the material in front of an audience, basically. Yeah. And then, then it will go out, you know, later in the year, you come back and you do the tour in theatres and stuff. How people um, who don't know show business will probably assume that to hire theatres is monumentally expensive, which generally speaking it is. Yeah. Uh, people who are involved in the industry will also be aware that it's increasingly expensive. So how the bloody hell... Um, take some balls to get so many venues so i did it by accident um i originally wanted to work cruise ships for a bit and so i knew that in order to get booked by a cruise agent i would need to and there's a funny story here i knew in order to get booked by a cruise agent i would need to have a video of the show that was in a venue that was as of the caliber that could be on a cruise ship and cruise ships have got the most beautiful theaters in them yeah so um where I lived at the time, and I now live in Durham, but where I lived at the time in Newcastle, there's a, a beautiful theatre, you've been there, uh, called the Tyne Theatre and Opera House, 1100 seat of Victorian theatre. And um, I got in touch with them and I got in touch with Newcastle City Hall, which is about 100 seats bigger. And I got in touch with the other main theatre in Newcastle, because there's about five, uh, which is the Theatre Royal. Yeah. Theatre Royal never replied. The Tyne Theatre and Opera House, which at the time was run by SMG, they're the group that own most of the arenas in the UK. Uh, they got back in touch and they gave me a higher price and the City Hall came back and said, I can give you a higher price. But if, you, if I'm honest, I would recommend you go to the Tyne Theatre. It's a lot cheaper and only 100 seats smaller um, and it's probably going to be better for the show. So yeah. I hired the Tyne Theatre, which was expensive. Uh, it's uh, you know a big a big chunk of big chunk of cash, but the way it works is you pay a deposit now, which is only about five hundred quid, and then you do the show, and then anything that if, if it makes a profit, then they'll just pay out. They, they keep all the ticket money, obviously. So after the show, they'll just pay out whatever the profit was. If it doesn't make a profit, then about if it doesn't look like it's going to make a profit about a week before, then you would have to pay the shortfall. So I thought, well, I'll give it a bash. The worst case scenario is I'm going to lose a five hundred quid deposit, and I'm going to lose uh, whatever I spend on advertising the show. So I hired the venue, went ahead with it. Uh, we sold reasonably well. It holds 1,100 people. I think we sold about 750 tickets in the end, uh, which I'm happy enough with. That fills the stalls, the circle, and most of the dress circle. So I was happy, most of the upper circle, rather. So I was happy with that and uh, did the show. Now, during the day, we were sat in, and I hired a local company to come in and put, because uh, the most theatres now are pretty much bare boxes. They don't have a lot of stuff in them in terms of lights and sound and stuff. They'll mostly have a basic PA system. The Tyne Theatre really doesn't have much. It's got some very basic lighting. But because I was just doing this as a one-off to film, I wanted it to look impeccable. So we hired a, a company to come in, and they put a massive, like, 20-foot screen up, uh, a star cloth, um, uh, moving lights galore we accidentally got a sound system that was just far too big for what we needed it was like a rock concert type sound system from a guy who likes sound systems uh, he came in and set up his sound system which was uh, which was enormous and um far too big we had to take half of it away because it was too big um and so that was like fine so we did the show and i was sat there during the day and I was sat there with our other mutual friend kennedy who'd helped me put the whole thing together and we sat around and i was like i wish i could do this every day 
He said, what do you mean? I said, I wish I could just like turn up in a different city and sort of like just do shows all the time. And that'd be great. Like I like exploring new places and I would, and I like, I knew from being in cost, I liked back to back shows. I much prefer doing a show every night than I would do it, you know, every Friday and Saturday night of every week or whatever. Um, and so that was that. So I did the show, filmed it. It went well. Um, the, the footage came out good and the trailer was good. And then that was that. So I started distributing it to the sort of two or three major cruise ship agents. And I never really got a reply particularly. Um, so I sort of popped that dream, the, the cruise ship bit to one side. Bear in mind, that was the only reason I'd done this theatre. And then I thought, well, sorry, I had a nice time. I'm going to do it again. So I, and I did lose money on the show, lost a couple of grand. But I thought I'm going to do it again. I think I've learned where I can cut costs and make the same and make money this time. Yeah. So I did it again, managed to cut costs. Lost money, but I lost money in a different place. I, I spent the money actually elsewhere. So this time I thought, let's see what it looks like to pay to like put a thousand posters around the city, which nearly cost me eighty thousand pounds in fines. But well, that's a different story. Um, let's put a thousand posters around the city, um, and we'll see what happens. And so that cost about a grand to have all the posters distributed, and I lost that grand there. So like I still lost money. I just did. I lost it in a different place. Yeah. I can't honestly say that putting those posters up really put extra bums on seats. So. We did the show and that went fine and I had a nice time. So a couple of years later, um, I'd stopped doing theatres altogether. I was just cracking on with my life as a hypnotist and whatnot. And I got a message out of the blue from a woman who I knew at the time, because she was something like assistant manager or something at the theatre, saying, would you fancy coming back to the Titan Theatre? And I said, to be honest, I, lo I love the place and the team are amazing. I've got such a good relationship with them. But I lost a couple of grand the first time. I lost about a grand the second time. As much as I think I, I would love to have a northeast presence and keep doing the yeah. theatre show, I just don't think I can justify paying for it. Anyway, so I said, so the only way I would do it is if you came back on a sort of box office ticket split, knowing that they wouldn't. And Joanne, by this point, had become manager of the theatre and still is. And um, what happened was SMG had let the venue go and it was now operating and still is as a, I don't really understand it, but like as a preservation trust. It's almost like a, it's almost like a charity and a museum and like it functions oh, okay. as a theatre. But yeah. um, it means that their, their goals are different, has to make money but their goals are different. And so she said, we can do a split. That's fine. So I said, oh, in that case, I'll do it. And I went along, did the show and we made a profit. So I realized that actually just financially, somehow it works out when you try and hire a theater, unless you know you can sell it out, um, the, the higher costs are just massively expensive. When you do a split, it's much, much easier to make a profit. So I thought that was good. So I did that about three times. Um, and then eventually in uh the end of 2017 the middle of 2017 i thought i want to do this little tour thing i'm going to do 10 let's just try 10 if i can get 10 venues like the time theater but smaller to offer me a split then i'll try that so um i started sending out emails to just finding the contacts for various theaters and emailing them saying can i do a show and uh, more of them said yes than i expected um and so eventually that led to 17 in the first year um, I just extended the the time I'd blocked in my diary that I wanted to try and fill. Do you and literally so, just have the balls to contact them? Obviously not yeah. just a bloody email. You you had the fortunate thing of a credible, high production value, quality, top notch, professional promo showreel to be able to include yeah. in that, which was in a venue that looks the dog's bollocks that answered all the questions I could have possibly asked. So you're yeah. completely credible, but you just effectively contacted them and said, uh, you're going to let me do a show on a box office flat. Yeah. Uh, and that was that. 
And um, almost all of them came back and said, yes, there were a couple and come back that came back and said, no, it would have to be a higher. But I thought, well, sorry, it, the higher was either cheap enough or the deposit was cheap enough that I thought, sorry, I'll have a go. Oddly enough, the ones that the ones that made me that that whole project lost money, but it was the ones I'd hired that made me lose the money. Had I not done them, I think it would have probably broken even or maybe maybe made a profit. But I always started it knowing it was a three to five year plan. I'd always, always, always gone into it knowing if it doesn't make money for the first few years, I don't really mind. I'll, I'll deal with that because it's only the people who stick their neck on the line and try stuff that really get bigger results. So if I'm the only hypnotist who wants to give that a bash, I mean, of course, there are other hypnotists working theatres. Andrew Newton's work in a few theatres that he's done forever here in the UK um, and we'll keep going back to. And, you know, I'm not going to try and stand on his toes. I'm not going to try and get into those theatres. There's no point in that. Likewise, you know, I know other hypnotists who are not going to try and step on my toes by going into the venues that I've built relationships with. Um, I'm sure some will, but most won't. Um, so I'm going to I'm just going to keep doing that and, and be the guy who's doing it extensively and, and trying to build that. To so, be honest, Lloyd, so if another hypnotist did go to one of the venues you've done, as long as they were doing it at a different time of the year, you know, you get you get like maybe a comedian in every month at a venue. One yeah, comic doesn't necessarily mean another comic isn't going to sell. Hundred percent, and I'm not. I'm not very protective about it, especially as we're po- constantly pushing the boundaries of what of what it can do and making the production of the show bigger and better. I think um, there's too much territorial protection and arsiness. Certainly, well, probably worldwide, but certainly it's highly visible in British stage hypnosis. When you oh, see, it's horrendous. It? Yeah, I don't think it's about it. It doesn't look like it's about in the states when I watch discussions. Oh facebook in the us but certainly in the uk is it's horrendous i don't really have an issue with it um so yeah so that's that's the plan really and then and then the following year we did a slightly smaller tour just because i didn't have as much time uh, for other commitments and eventually that i just decided right so i'm going to keep now now i oddly enough um the thing that started all of this was the fact that I wanted to do cruise ships and I wanted to get signed to buy one of the cruise agents and do that. And I've got lots of friends who do that, as do you. And uh, and so I've heard lots of stories. And I, I wanted to A, put it on my CV and B, I just genuinely wanted to do it. But I never got heard back from the cruise agents. And then uh, so I ended up doing this theatre tour. So I did two theatre tours um, and in between i did the edinburgh fringe and oddly enough after one of the fringe shows about halfway through the run a lady came up to me and said do you do you ever work cruise ships and i said uh, i said no i don't and she said oh i work for royal caribbean and had me a business card and said uh, we'd love to have you on ships so i said oh great and i just didn't really look at it i said thank you very much i put it in my back pocket and, and off she went and and i finished taking the the bucket and cleared off and off i went and i went back up to uh i went up to there's like a venue that the edinburgh fringe use for fringe artists to just go in it's got free wi-fi and stuff so mm-hmm. i went in and sat down on the computer and i, I got the business card out because she told me to drop her an email and she's a, a headline talent booker for royal caribbean and they now are trying to they're trying to book entertainment directly as well as through agents so yeah. they sent scouts to the edinburgh fringe every year and have done i think this is their third year and, uh, and that was that. So I'm now signed with Royal Caribbean. My first cruises are booked in for this year. So I didn't get it through the route that I wanted to get it through. Uh, but equally, I don't have to pay an agent's commission either now because I'm just working directly to Royal Caribbean. But my fees are the same. Um, so, yeah, so I've, I've got what I wanted anyway. Uh, I just got it, I got it through a bit of a roundabout route. Excellent. Strange how things happen, but yeah, it's about focusing and setting goals. Bloody hell, time's running away with us. We've only got about 15 minutes. So I'm going to move off stage hypnosis other than um to ask one 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 question that i've asked all the stage hypnotists um and that is 
how often do things go wrong? You know, people out there give this impression, oh, it never goes wrong if you do things right. You're always getting a volunteer. You'll always get people under. Bullshit. And I've got to say, I, I'm amazed how honest uh, the American stage hypnotists are uh, about the fact that things don't always go to plan. But in Britain and Europe, tends to be people won't admit the fact that yeah. it doesn't always go to plan. What's your yeah. view on all that? So I- so I mean I'm I've been doing this since I was 16 and I'm 32 now so that's 16 years and I've done I'm lucky enough I, this is not me bragging I'm lucky enough to have done a couple of thousand shows now a thousand of them in Greece and uh, the other thousand across other places and um in all of that time I can honestly say that the first theater tour that I did so in 2017 um we had some really rough nights there were two shows had to be pulled because people came out of hypnosis during the interval there was one of them where we didn't really get any volunteers in the first place uh, because the the shows uh, just hadn't sold very well. We had probably less than 80 people in and uh, we just didn't get just out of those 80 people. People wanted to watch not be hypnotized. Um, so we had two what I can call absolutely catastrophic nights um, where, where we just had to pull the show. Uh, one of them, I know for a fact, uh, you know, that theatre will never have a hypnotist on again because, you know, it left that much of a bad taste in their mouth. But uh, that was that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, stuff stuff goes wrong all the time. You know, like people uh, don't react the way you expect them to react. Uh, people come out of hypnosis at unusual, unexpected moments. Occasionally, I'll still have a show when no, I mean, very rarely. Occasionally, I'll still have a show when nobody gets hypnotized. And I think anyone who says that that doesn't happen to them either isn't doing any shows or they're just lying. Um because it, sometimes you do just end up in the wrong situation with the wrong group of people. And it's very, it's super, super rare. Um, you know, like the, I, it gave me a bit of a fear of doing shows for small audiences. But then, you know, on Saturday night, I was down in Cornwall doing a, a Christmas party, believe it or not, in January. A Christmas party for a hair salon. Uh, 30, 36, 37 people in the room had a, eight volunteers on stage, had a great show. So I've overcome that fear again now. But yeah, um, for a while it left me with a fear, a bit of a fear of doing small, of doing small audience gigs, but I've lost that now. Uh, yeah, so I mean, stuff does go wrong. Uh, you know, hypnosis is not a perfect science. It's not like, you know, magic tricks go wrong. If magicians are doing a trick, sometimes the trick goes wrong. The fortunate thing is you can do, you can then do another trick or you can redirect that trick somewhere else. And sometimes people won't even know it went wrong. Most, most of the time, people won't even know it went wrong. Uh, you don't have that luxury with hypnosis. And I've always avoided putting together a show that is, um, I've always avoided putting together a backup plan. I've always avoided putting together a show that looks like hypnosis and you can sort of fudge it and get through it uncomfortably. And at the end, you, you know, the, it, but the audience sort of leave mildly impressed. I've, I've always put I've always avoided that. So, yeah, stuff does go wrong. And anyone who says it, it doesn't is lying. Now, fortunately, last year on tour, didn't have any of those shows. And, uh, and I think we're now at a point where that, you know, is unlikely to happen again. Mm-hmm. But because I've learned my lessons. But, um, yeah, I, however experienced and, and good you are, you'll always have duff nights. Excellent. I appreciate the honesty, as I'm sure the viewers will. I mean, I can tell you, I'm not going to mention names, not because they'd sue me, because they couldn't, because it's true what I'm about to say, just because I don't give these certain people publicity, they don't deserve it. But I have witnessed famous name British stage hypnotists um, walk out in front of, crikey, good couple of thousand people, get volunteers, and uh, not many volunteers, mine, but get volunteers and just end up having to abandon the show. 
didn't get many under the ones that did just came out of it and they threw a strop and stormed off stage um i mean it's mine mine has led to me being slagged off by a hypnotist that we both know uh, on the internet quite publicly who also does you know public shows um saying that you know i'm clearly showing my inexperience and i'm not ready to do uh, theater shows and all of that stuff yet um but equally, if you Google him, there's shows that were cancelled without any particular reason. There's no reason given. It's just this show, this local show in this local city has been cancelled. It's in the new, you know, it's in the local newspaper or whatever. Mm. Um, not as a news story, just a public announcement that if you were going, don't. Um, and and yeah, so you know, it happens. To, it happens to the best of us. It happens to everyone. It happens to bloody famous name comedians that are on TV. It happened at a local venue near to here. Recently, it just didn't sell as well as they'd expect, which is mental, because the rest of the tour was sold out. God knows. Clearly not popular in Middleton near Manchester, but it's in the rest of the country. It doesn't make sense sometimes. But we So I've, I've got two questions left because we're running out of time. Um, the, the one at the end is hypno-related. This kind of is, but it isn't. Um, and that is that you were also known for a brief period of time under the name Mark Milburn when you launched your internet marketing, coaching and training business, but then you decided to drop that because people started to twig and on. It looks a lot like Robert Temple hypnotist and it just became easier. And during that time period, we worked together on, on some things and I can categorically tell people up front before I ask this question, that thanks to being shown things that I didn't know, and that's what it's about. It's not that Rob claims he knows any super duper secret knowledge it's just that if he knows something you don't that works then by being able to show you how to use that um it takes you from not knowing it and not being uh, not using it to being able to understand it and use it and i can honestly say um that can have dramatically profitable results for your business whether you're a hypnotherapist selling self-help products stage hypnotist who maybe started doing courses who knows or you're in some other area of therapies, complementary alternative medicine, because you probably are if you're watching this. There's always a way to monetize, produce, create unique products and monetize them. And I can tell you that using techniques that Rob teaches, and he'll tell you more about it in a minute, that, you know, on, on one particular thing we worked on together, we pulled in over a quarter of a million dollars in a seven day period to the point where it looked like PayPal thought money laundering was going on and froze it. And for a moment, it seemed like we'd lost the money for at least six months to a year. But fortunately, we did manage to get it. And it is fortunate because we had to pay affiliates as well. But I'm not going to say any more than that. I'll let Rob explain what it is he does, what he used to do as Mark Melbourne, but now does as Robert Temple, and how he could perhaps help you and why it might be a benefit to you to get in touch with Rob and discuss your ideas, your products and stuff. So go on, Rob. Uh, you'd be pleased to know I've since had five PayPal accounts closed down. Um, oh, and, 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 and they're closing they're closing online marketers down left, right and centre. There's a Facebook group about it uh, and they're getting worse now. They're starting to keep they're starting to keep the money and all sorts. Anyway. Um, yeah. So basically, when I was in costs, I was doing I was making decent money enough, but I was spending all of it, like just 
on drink and having fun and because i started to drink at that point started drinking having fun spending eating out every night whereas most people would live off pot noodles and so i was but but as a as an entertainer you were just paid better than you were as a as a barman or a, something so i was just i was just spending it so making decent money and while i was sat there during the day i've always liked being on the computer it's it's I'm a bit of a nerd i like being on the computer and i like stuff like building websites like i was learning to build websites at school and i'm not very good at it but i was learning all of that stuff and so um, in about 2008, I stumbled across this idea of selling stuff on the internet. So you can create a course, as you know all too well, and sell it on the internet, and then people pay you for it, and then they get access to the course. Whether that is, you know, the good old-fashioned DVDs and video, VHS tapes sent through the post, uh, and you know, it's a bit like there'll be people who are in their 60s and 70s watching this who'll remember buying, you know, like through an advert in the paper, sending off a stamped or envelope and getting an order form, and then filling out the order form and sending it off with a check and getting like a a box of cassette tapes through the post it's just the modern equivalent of that the problem is the minute you say make money on the internet everyone thinks oh it's a scam it's mlm it's a pyramid scheme um but it's not it's just what used to happen in the papers you know if you wanted to buy a a, a, a study at home course on how to learn spanish it's that but it's on the internet and so i stumbled across this idea of being able to sell stuff on the internet and because i had a natural inclination to enjoy being sat on the computer um i sort of just fell into it and also i thought as an entertainer you spend lots of time sat around doing nothing uh you know like in the past couple of months you and i have both flown for probably 15 hours there 15 yeah. hours back to do a one hour show 45 minute show in this venue uh, abroad so there's lots of traveling and so i wanted something to do that were filled in the time i also knew that when i left cost and came back to the uk i didn't have a market here and it was going to take me a while to build up clients and get gigs so i wanted somebody that would i literally wanted to have a business that could pay my bills a couple of grand a month to live in the uk whilst i got myself back off the ground now when i started this up i started creating and selling information products like ebooks and selling them online i did for a little while for a couple of years think people are going to be well confused if they're if i'm if i'm if i'm selling myself as a stage hypnotist over there and i'm selling this stuff on the internet about making money over here and all this other stuff people are going to get confused so i decided i would just create a pen name i didn't ever think i would end up going to events and speaking at events and all that other stuff about marketing i thought i'm just going to be an anonymous person on the internet so like so many non-fiction uh, so many fiction authors rather i decided i would just create a pen name that became mark milburn basically my ex-girlfriend girlfriend at the uh, yeah recent ex-girlfriend her saying because her name was milburn that's where that came from and i liked alliteration so i just picked a name for the beginning that was literally that and uh, for a couple of years was creating and selling products under those under that name eventually i just became a bit uncomfortable with it i realized there's a massive crossover between the world of hypnosis and the world of online marketing there are so many people yeah. you look at people like telman knutson loads of other people who, who have who've gone from hypnosis into selling stuff online um so i decided to scrap the pen name in the end and just did it as myself and that's led to a whole bunch of other things you know i now um, run a software business where we sell marketing software to help people sell more stuff uh speak on stage about email marketing specifically as part of that um and coach people in that side of things so yeah i mean i'm i'm really obsessed with helping people who have a skill of some description anything from gardening and dog training through to again alternative complementary complementary therapies to monetize the skills that they've got not just in the therapy room but also by selling downloadable products on the internet which of course can lead as you know to selling out seminars which can lead to all sorts of things so that that's what i do when i'm not performing what i'm trying to do is balance my life so that in august september and october i'm doing the fringe and two months on tour and i have three months to do as many shows as it's possible to do for the public Mm -hmm. the rest of the year if i get a couple of gigs a month when i go out and and, and get paid I, I put my fees right up um so i only have to take the work i really want to do 
again not bragging just that was a decision i made i'd rather do fewer shows for more money um so i lose a lot of gigs because they can't afford to pay that fee that's okay uh, they can hire somebody else uh, so i go and do uh, christmas parties in december and january uh weddings and stuff spread throughout the year a corporate event spread throughout the year um fly abroad a couple of times to india and other places to do shows a couple of times a year uh so i, I do a, a bunch of gigs sporadically i'm now going to be doing cruises from this year as well probably about one a month and then that means that um the rest of the time i can run my online stuff and it's a really it's, it's the perfect sort of balance of of everything i want to do Excellent. Um, so before I ask you the final question, which is the one that I ask everybody on Hypnosis Week, could you tell everybody, I mean, there will be a link below this video when it goes live, but can you tell everyone how they can get in contact with you if they'd like to talk to you more about um, how you could perhaps help them get their ideas into tangible, saleable products and then how to actually monetize them and all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, to be honest, I'm going on a bit of I'm going to be going on a bit of a social media and stuff hiatus and, and disappearing a bit um, just because um, I would rather I'd rather I don't see as much value in being on Facebook as I used to do. So I'm going to keep my Facebook page and all of that stuff. But as a profile, I'm going to I'm going to go under the radar a little bit at some point this year. Don't know when might be next month, might be the month, might be in 12 months time. I don't know. Uh, the best place to get me, the only place I'm, I'm going to be uh, actively monitoring myself is my Instagram. Uh, so if you just go to Instagram and my username is Robert Temple Hypnotist, feel free to drop me a message on there. Uh, at the minute, I answer, I reply to everything on there that comes in myself. So drop me a message on there and we can have a chat. And if you've just enjoyed the interview, let me know. If you've hated the interview, let me know. That's OK as well. If and, people want to uh, come and see you do a show, where's the website where they can see tour dates and stuff? It's roberttemplehypnotist.com. And there's a tour dates page on the navigation bar at the top. And you'll see all the dates on there. There's only a couple of them for this year on sale right now. The rest of them are going on sale over the next two weeks. Um, and alternatively, just come to the Edinburgh Fringe. And hopefully, assuming I get a place, uh, you'll see me there. And if people are watching, they've already got a product. They already do email marketing. They're already reasonably internet savvy. But they'd like to investigate using surveys and effective email marketing and stuff. What website should they be looking at? Uh, there's two. So there's uh, emailmarketingheroes.com, which is a brand I run with our mate Kennedy, um, and responsesuite.com is the name of our software. But if you want to get in touch with us and like watch what we're doing on a bit of a bigger scale, emailmarketingheroes.com is probably the best place to go. Excellent. So that leads me into, because we've gone just over the hours to the last question, uh, and it sounds so simple, and yeah, it's so many different ways this has gone with different guests. In the context of stage hypnosis, if somebody was to knock on your door now, imagine they knock on the door, knock, 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 um, and just so I get a plug in, they've got a copy of um, Stage Hypnosis Made Easy by Jonathan Royal, available on Amazon. Well, that's all they've got in their hand. Yeah. And all they've done is they've read that, and they've seen you do a show, some other hypnotists do a show, so they bought this book, they had a read of it and think, I reckon I could do that. But it seems a bit too easy. Um, all right, the saying that things can go wrong, but it still seems a bit easy. And then from the other point of view, it seems like monumentally difficult to be able to get your first show. So it seems too easy how it's done, but difficult how to get. A lot of people have watched this interview. I'm sure they've got the message. It's a case of doing stuff, being persistent, focused and, uh, and whatnot. What would your top three tips be to somebody who was thinking about becoming a stage hypnotist? So, yeah, and it is. There is a, there is a dangerously high barrier to entry to be a hypnotist now uh, because...
it appears to be very, especially in the UK where we've got the legal bit to, to juggle with, I probably get messages every month from people who are just asking, magicians who want to try stage hypnosis or whatever, who are just dabbling and they sort of say, what is this law? What what can I and can't I do? And is it does it still apply and all the rest of it? So number one, get a really good basic understanding of what the law says you can and can't do. Uh, and you can speak to me, you can speak to Alex slash Jonathan, you can speak to any of us who are working pros who are nice people and just say, right, I'd like to do a show. What's the law look like in plain English? And what, what are the three or four things I need to know? So first of all, just ask somebody who knows the law, if you're in the UK anyway, and under, get an understanding of what that is and, and what you can and can't do. Secondly, know that the only way you'll ever be able to do this is to put it in front of an audience. I don't buy into the, uh, for the most part, the idea of practicing on your friends and family and people you've met on the street uh, or uh, going to hypnosis meetups. There's no point in going to a lot of hypnosis meetups that I hear about because you're just going to sit and hypnotize other people who want to be hypnotized and they're going to be hypnotized because they want you to be hypnotized when they try and hypnotize you. So I don't buy into a lot of this hypnosis meetup stuff, which is going to be controversial for some people watching this. Um, so for me, the only way you'll ever be able to do this, it's not like magic or singing or anything else. It's, the, it's probably the only entertainment form where the only way you can practice it is just to get out and do it in front of an actual audience who expect it to work. So uh, don't try and do that. Instead, just try and get a show. If that means doing it for free, do it for free. Just get out and, and try do a charity night even where you hire a local club or a pub or something and, and uh, get them to flog the tickets and all the money goes to charity. The pub gets the bar takings as well as the positive reputation of doing a charity event. And then just go and do it. That's That's the same as doing a show for free, except you're helping a cause. Um, yeah. so, so I definitely recommend doing that. And third tip would probably be that you have to be prepared that it's going to be 90% being a decent performer and 10% being any use with hypnosis. Like for me, if you are, if you are 10%, I am not, I am by far not the best hypnotist on earth. If you like rank us all together, I am by far not the best or most knowledgeable hypnotist. Um, but I think I'm a good performer and th that's what helps me to do what I do. I think I'm a good hypnotist. I don't think I'm the best in the world mm -hmm. uh, by any means or anywhere close. So I think understand that actually the the thing you really need to master once you understand the basics. If you read if you read a book like that and you go, well, that's got to be it's got to be more simple than it is. It, that's because of the, the rest of it. The, the, the major lion's share of it beyond learning hypnosis, once you've got that bit down, is just learning to be a good, charismatic, funny performer. Can you be funny without without people doing daft things? If you can, that's a great skill. Uh, can, and, and I didn't have that. I just had to learn it over a period of time. And can you present stuff well without having to have hit people hypnotized? If you can, that's a skill that you need. So just understand that actually to, to become a really great stage hypnotist is about being a really great performer. In magic, there's the old adage that a, magi a magician is merely an actor playing the part of a magician. I think it's true, yeah. but I think it's much more true about stage hypnosis. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, thank you very much indeed for your time, Rob. It's been pleasure. a pleasure. Wish you luck with the tour and everything. I will be coming to see you again. Good. And um, yeah. Everyone watching, as I always say week after week, and I don't care, I'm going to repeat myself. Now you've watched it. If stage hypnosis is your chosen field, go and get a pad and a pen. Watch this again and take notes because there's more quality information and advice in the past hour than at first sight you'll have actually realised. Uh, because Rob's been amazingly honest about the fact that things aren't always playing sailing in show business. You know, you do have to put graft in and have a focus plan and, and make things work. So thank you ever so much, Rob. Thanks for having me. Join us next week for another edition of Hypnosis Week.